So this morning we're finishing our Advent series, which has been called The King's Carols. I don't know if you know, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, but we've already sung it together. I think it's relatively unfamiliar to me, and yet someone came up to me last hour and said it's their favorite hymn. So praise the Lord. Maybe it's your favorite hymn, or maybe it will be a hymn that you value now. I want to give you a little background on the hymn just to help you fill in. Uh, You can see on the hymn page, if you looked at it, that the hymn's author is a man named Frank Houghton, who lived in the late 1800s to 1972, I believe. He was an Anglican missionary, a bishop, and an author. In the 1930s, a civil war broke out in China, making it a dangerous time for missionaries there, maybe not very different from now. Now, in the midst of that, John and Betty Stamm were a young couple, and they were killed during the persecution, which shocked the movement and got a lot of people's attention. So Frank Houghton decided to travel to China. It was a risky trip, but he felt called to go and check in with various missionary outposts. And as he traveled around and considered the cost of being a missionary in China, he was reminded of the words of 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Our text this morning actually mentions it at the top of the hymnal page. So it's our primary text this morning, and it also inspired the words of the beautiful hymn that we sang. So I invite you now to stand for the reading of God's word. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And Paul, again, writing in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So for a month, we've focused on Christmas carols and scripture passages that speak of Christ as our King. And I don't know about you, but it wasn't really until this year and this focus that I realized this kingly language pops up everywhere in Christmas carols. You have the favorites like, come and behold him, born the King of angels. And then you have some that are maybe less well-known, like in our hymn today, thou who art love beyond all telling, savior and king, we worship thee. So I've been thinking about these carols. I've had kind of a long runway to preaching today and been taking in the series and something just been a little off to me. And I'm, what's going on? Why, what's the disconnect? And it struck me, we're living in America and in America, we just don't know what to do with royalty. So we can't really tell our nation's story without mentioning conflict with England and King George. Of course, that was a long time ago, but we have phrases like, give me liberty or give me death or don't tread on me. And these are the kinds of things that are just in the water. They're not quickly forgotten. So in America, we don't really want to be ruled like that. We want elected leaders, term limits. We don't really want kings and queens and crowns passed down. But it's complicated, and here's why. Because over the years, the way the monarchy works has changed, and as it changes, our relationship to it changes. And so I've observed, perhaps I observe this at home with someone I live with, but lots of people are borderline obsessed with the royal family. Maybe that's you. 
And so you set your alarm and you stay up all night to see the royal wedding or you're recording everything about the royal baby or you're just binge watching the crown or something like that. So there's this tension. If you try to put it all together, it's really interesting because on, on the one hand, we don't want a king. But on the other hand, we do want to be entertained. And so I started wondering, are we the same way with King Jesus? Is it possible that we don't really want to be ruled by King Jesus, but we still want to be entertained by him? That we want a king, but not a kingdom. These carols remind us that Christmas isn't just about a king coming. It's about a kingdom coming. If you think about a familiar carol, a verse says, Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. You see, a king implies a kingdom. And I'm just not sure we've adequately processed that. At the beginning of his ministry in Mark 1, we read that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is the good news in this little passage? The king has come to inaugurate his kingdom. So we can't let our issues with monarchy get in the way. The generous king has brought his gracious kingdom. And friends, this is the best news. And I don't want us to miss it. So today, we're going to see the radical generosity of our king and also the strange economics of his kingdom. I want us to see how Jesus was rich and we are poor. And then I want us to see how Jesus became poor that we might become rich in him. And finally, I want to ask a question. What would our lives look like if we really know the generosity of our king? So first, Jesus was rich and we are poor. If you look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul begins, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. So in a world obsessed with riches, Jesus was truly rich. Before being born in a stable, Jesus was rich as the eternal son of God. And though Paul doesn't really say it, the implication is clear. Apart from Jesus, we are poor. So let's consider how Jesus was rich. Our hymn text says he was rich beyond all splendor. But what does that mean? Think about Jesus. He was rich as the king of creation. In Colossians 1.16, Paul writes, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. Then in Isaiah 40, we read these breathtaking things. He measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. He marked off the heavens with a span. He weighed the mountains in the scales. He calls all the stars by name. Then in Psalm 50, the Lord says, the world and its fullness are mine. If we think we're rich in natural resources, think about the Lord saying, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. He could say the diamonds in a thousand mines, the oil in a thousand wells, the land in a thousand towns, and more. If we think we're rich in medicine, he created the heart and the brain. If we think we're rich in science, he created gravity and molecules. If we think we're rich in music, he created air, vibrations, and eardrums. Jesus was rich as the king of creation, but he was also rich as the king of glory. He's the radiance of the glory of God. 
He's the focus of the angels' worship. The heavens declare his glory and his greatness is unsearchable. Paul says in Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God for from him and through him and to him are all things. Jesus was also rich as the king of love. He is rich in relationships. As our hymn text says, he is love beyond all telling. Who knows the riches of love like our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before creating anything, imagine this, before there was any of this, our God enjoyed perfect love and community. What we long for in terms of relationship every single day of our lives, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoyed every moment of eternity past. So Jesus was rich beyond all splendor, king of creation, glory, and love. And our riches, as Mark Davis said recently, our riches can all be measured. His riches are immeasurable. Now, if we get that, we should know we are poor by comparison. But we don't always see things that way. So I wanna ask the question, how are we poor? I learned some interesting things this week. I read that a person making $34,000 a year is in the top 1% of rich people in the world. And did you know that half of those people live in America? So many of us are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world, and the rest of us are doing remarkably well compared to the world too. So on the surface, we're not poor. So how are we poor? I really want to explore this prayerfully because it would be easy to make a list and make points and may or may not apply to you or me. Instead, what I want to do is give us questions that we can bring before the Lord. I invite you to join me and ask the Lord to search your heart. And maybe this is something you can do throughout the week too. Lord, am I more impressed with earthly riches than your riches? Do I find my identity and value in what I have? Show me my poverty apart from you. Lord, am I more focused on material things than relationships? Do I love work and success and stuff more than I love people? Show me my poverty apart from you. Lord, do I ever confess the sin of greed? Is my life more about greed or generosity? Have you given me so much and it's still not enough? Show me my poverty apart from you. Lord, am I so satisfied with the security that money brings that I don't realize I depend on you for every breath and every meal? Am I really successful in this world and still unsatisfied? Show me my poverty apart from you. Now, brothers and sisters, it's a painful journey, but we need to ask the hard questions. Here's another thing I learned this week. We make more and give away a smaller percentage than we did 50 years ago. Why? We're also the wealthiest people in a nation in the history of the world. So we have more than anyone ever. We also have more mental illness and suicide, which has probably impacted all of us in one way or another. Why? Why aren't we the happiest people around? One pastor reported that in 30 years of doing ministry, no one confessed the sin of greed. Not one. And think maybe that's part of the puzzle. 
It feels like we're all racing to get rich in this world. And there's always someone to outrun and there's always someone to chase. And on the surface, the race is going pretty well. It looks like we're doing pretty well. But deep down, there's a lot of misery. And still, for some reason, we can't seem to quit the race. And I wonder why. So in 1860, a ship sank on its way from Panama to the United States. 400 people lost their lives as the ship went down. There was a wealthy businessman on the ship. He had 200 pounds of gold with him on the ship. And as the ship was going down, he scrambles, straps as much of the gold to himself as he could. I don't have to tell you how that story ended, but it's helpful to remember. If you find yourself in this situation, know that gold, great investment, lousy flotation device. So one author author talking about this situation says, now as he was sinking, had he got the gold or had the gold got him? I think it's a good question because many of us don't realize that we're sinking. We think we have stuff, but really the stuff has us. And it's hard for us to see it. Sadly, other people can see it. Eugene Peterson writes this, talking about America. He says, other cultures don't see a Christian land. They see a lot of greed and arrogance. And they see a Christian community that has almost none of the virtues of the biblical Christian community, which have to do with a sacrificial life and conspicuous love. The attractive thing about America to outsiders is the materialism, not the spirituality. They're not coming after our gospel unless they're translating the gospel into a promise of riches and comfort. And when I hear that, that stings. I wonder, does the shoe fit? It's easy to think we can have the world and have King Jesus too. But there's a reason Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because the world's riches are like fool's gold. They're not worth as much as we think. And while we have them, they keep us from pursuing the real thing if we're not careful. But do you ever look at your life and say, there has got to be more than this? There is more, friends. But it starts with realizing that this world is not enough, will never be enough. So don't be fooled. Someone has said a rich person is just a poor person with money. Don't let it blind you. Focus on the riches of Christ and you'll begin to see your true poverty and you'll be ready to see what our generous king did with his riches. And that's our second point. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich in him. So how did Jesus become poor? Well, he became poor just by being born. Sounds funny to say. But for us, being human is an honor, right? Created in the image of God, the apex of creation. But for Jesus, putting on flesh is a humiliation. It's a downgrade. It's like going from the new iPhone to a telegram or something like that. But that's what God did. It's it's remarkable that the eternal God would put on skin and have fingers and a nose and a belly button Jesus became poor. And think about how he was born. You would look for a political king in Rome. You would look for a philosopher king in Athens. Where do you find the savior king? In Bethlehem? In a borrowed stable? The poor teenage girl? So in our hymn, we sang, thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Apart from the angels, there was little fanfare. 
And then apart from the animals, there were few witnesses. What king would do this? Now think about Jesus' life. He wasn't rich in earthly terms. He just worked with his hands. He lived in obscurity until he was around 30. When he launched his ministry, many of his own Jewish people rejected him. For a time, his family even thought he was crazy and tried to stop him. He told a would-be follower that he had nowhere to lay his head. His closest friends misunderstood and doubted and eventually abandoned him. It's time of need. So Jesus traded the adoration of angels for the headache of humanity. Who would do that? Now think about Jesus' death from thrones to a manger to a hard life to a cross. So Jesus dies exposed and alone, the rich king flanked by real criminals, and he's he died in our place. He faced the wrath of God that our sins deserve, our sins deserve. And he gave up his most prized possession, his unbroken fellowship with the Father. And so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's literally lost everything. The rich king gave up everything. So we've seen millionaires and billionaires give away a lot. There's a giving pledge I heard that like millionaires and billionaires can sign in my lifetime and give away 50% at least of my earnings. This is not that. This is everything. Have we ever seen a billionaire say, I'm gonna give away everything and I choose to become homeless? That's what our king did. It's the ultimate riches to rags story. And as you know, back to riches through the resurrection. But do you know the poverty of God in Christ? Ask, why, why did he do it? We say it was the Father's plan. We, Jesus did it for his Father's glory, absolutely. But he also did it for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9 again. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And our hymn says, all for love's sake he became poor. For all his riches, there was one thing that Jesus didn't have a bride, a people. He didn't have you. He did it all for you. We love to give a Christmas present or a gift that takes someone's breath away, but we will never give a gift like this. Jesus loved you so much that he became poor that you might become rich in him. And so we just need to ask, does the gospel ever take our breath away? So think about this. What does it mean to be rich in Christ? If that's what he came to do, what does it mean to be rich in Christ? In Christ, we have all these things, and we could say more, but we have a new status, forgiven and reconciled. We have a new identity, beloved child of God. We have a new family, the church. We're in a whole new realm, transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God. A new inheritance, one that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and a new mission to join God in his great work of making all things new. Do you know these riches in Christ? They're immeasurable. Our king's economy is radically different from the world's economy. And so it's hard to see, but I want you to think about this. If you crack open an economics textbook, like an intro to econ, you'll find a definition something like this. Economics is concerned with the efficient use or management of limited productive resources to achieve maximum satisfaction of human material wants. There's a reason I didn't major in econ. 
But when you read that, what you hear is the kingdom of this world, limited resources. It's all about me maximizing my material wants. In the kingdom of greed, you might call it, we're all little kings and queens just trying to make ourselves rich. But now think about the kingdom of God. Unlimited resources. It's all about the king wanting to maximize our joy in him. And so in this kingdom of grace, the king himself becomes poor that we might become rich in him. And then he invites us to follow him, to see our whole life as a gift that we steward for his glory. So think about what our rich king did with his resources. Jesus was radically, sacrificially generous. He didn't just give us money. He didn't just throw money at the problem. He gave us himself. And he didn't just treat our symptoms. He took aim at our deepest need. And he didn't just give out of margin. It cost him everything, even his life. And he did it because he loved us. Can you feel the clash of the kingdoms now? In the kingdom of greed, we so love the world that we save and earn and spend for us. In the kingdom of grace, God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us. So in the kingdom of greed, we can have millions of dollars and be penniless apart from Christ. In the kingdom of God, we can have nothing in the bank and be immeasurably rich in Christ. The problem is the kingdom of, this, kingdom of this world is so easy to see. The kingdom of God can be difficult to see. But when Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. And ever since, it's been growing like a mustard seed, secretly, slowly, but certainly. And one day he will consummate his kingdom. And then we'll say, and we'll probably sing it with Handel too, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Until then, the kingdom of greed and the kingdom of grace will always be in conflict. And so the question is, what side are you on? Which kingdom is really shaping your heart? If Jesus became poor that we might become rich, how do we become rich in him? In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So are you poor in spirit? Do you know that you're bankrupt before God? That when it comes to salvation, all you bring to God is the sin that made it necessary. Jesus says, if that's you, the kingdom's for you. So friends, don't be deceived. Don't let all these worldly riches keep you from true riches in Christ. Think about your house and your car, your toys and your talents, your grades, your career, your reputation, your investments, your friends, your family. These are all good things, blessings from God, but they will never save you. They'll never ultimately satisfy you. They will never become poor that you might become rich. Think about any or all of those things. They will never die for your sins. Only Jesus can do that for you. So do you wanna know the riches of Christ? Then admit, Lord, there are other things that rule my life. And as great as they are, they've failed me. Now, faith means turning away from these things and turning to Jesus, trusting that he has done everything necessary 
to save you and bring you into a much better kingdom. The invitation is to confess your sin, confess your poverty, and come to Jesus and receive true riches. We can say to him, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. So Paul says to the Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the question for us is, do we know his grace? Do we believe that he became poor so that we might become rich? Is Jesus Christ really the treasure of our hearts? How will we know? What would our lives look like if we really know the lavish generosity of our king? That's the last point. Our generosity is evidence of God's grace in our lives. Grace makes us generous. So in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is giving instruction for those who are rich in this present age. And let's assume he's talking to people like us. So what does he say? First, he charges us not to be proud. Friends, how can we be proud? As we read elsewhere in the Bible, what do we have that we didn't receive? And if we received it, why would we boast about it? Pride dies at the foot of the cross when we realize our Savior became poor that we might become rich. So are we living near the cross and letting his grace humble us and make us grateful? And Paul also charges us not to set our hopes on earthly riches. Again, how could we do that? These things are all sinking sand. Christ is the solid rock. And we can't take it with us. I think we know that, but we try. God has promised to be with us forever. So are we hoping in riches or are we hoping in God? Finally, Paul invites us into a life of sacrificial generosity. If we've experienced the grace of God, we should be becoming more and more generous and probably also joyful about that. Grace makes us joyfully generous. So in 2019, what would it mean to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share? Really, it would just mean looking more like Jesus. So think about the things we said about Jesus being radically, sacrificially generous, not just giving money, but giving ourselves, not just treating symptoms, but aiming, taking aim at people's deepest needs, sacrificing ourselves in costly ways for others and doing it out of joy in God and love for people. What if God did that work in us in 2019? What might that look like? Well, it might look like the Macedonians. Paul talks about them earlier in 2 Corinthians 8. And what he says is amazing because he's saying, Corinthians, I want you to know about the Macedonians because in their extreme poverty, they basically were begging to give. And, and, and their generosity overflowed in joy and giving in their poverty. What would it be like if we were begging to give? Be so overwhelmed by God's generosity that it, it's not the church coming to you saying, hey, we really need to serve in the church and in the city. But you're saying, I've experienced the lavish generosity of God. I wanna live sacrificially. Where do you need me? Or we don't have to say, hey, it'd be really great if you could like, give to the campaign or give to the budget. Say, you come to us. I have experienced the generosity of God. I wanna give sacrificially. What are the needs? That would be an amazing paradigm shift that we would be so joyful. We're basically begging to give. Lord, send me. Where do you need me? 
And sacrificial generosity could take a thousand forms. What if, what if we prayed again and asked the Spirit to lead us? Those prayers could sound something like this. Lord, how have you been generous to me? How can I be generous toward others? Have I invited people into my life to help me grow in generosity? And as I look around, Lord, is there someone to forgive? Is there someone to welcome? Is there a lost person I need to pursue or a line that I need to cross? Lord, how can I abandon my little kingdom and start living for yours? You have given me time and talent and treasures. What are you calling me to do with these things? They're ultimately yours. How do I need to think about work and wealth differently? Lord, do I really believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive? What can I joyfully give up in order that I would have more to share with others? How can I make myself poor so that others might become rich in you? Now, those questions sound pretty crazy, but there's no denying it. If we want to follow Jesus, we know where he's going. He's going toward a life of radical generosity. If we don't want to be ruled, if we just want to be entertained, that life doesn't make sense to us. But if we know our gracious king, if we submit to our gracious king, we start to see things differently. We see he didn't make us to be greedy. It's actually not where joy is. He made us to be generous. That's where the joy is. If we live like this, we'll be storing up real treasure for the future, like Paul says. And as we love to say around here, we'll be extending the transforming presence of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ because the generous king has come and he's brought his kingdom with him. He's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And his curse-reversing blessings flow best through his transformed people. Don't you want to be transformed? As he transforms us, the church becomes what God intended it to be. We get to be a light to the world and also a foretaste of the world that is to come. So let that sink in for a second. We get to show the world a picture of our king and also a preview of his coming kingdom. Don't you want true riches and lasting joy? Don't you want the life that is truly life? If you do, Jesus invites you to know his grace, to know that he was rich, became poor, that you might be rich in him, and to follow him in a life of sacrificial generosity. As we close, I want to read to you from Luke 12 in the message paraphrase. As we go into a new year, I really think our generous king wants us to take these words to heart. So listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12. What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. So steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourself a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven. 
far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for sending your son. Jesus, thank you that though you were rich, you joyfully became poor, that we might become rich through your poverty. Lord, I pray you would show us our true poverty apart from you, that we might taste and see the sweetness of the gospel again, that you would pour yourself out to make us rich. Lord, and then give us the joy of pouring ourselves out, that we might share you and and your good news of a king and a kingdom with the world. Father, we long to grow. We pray that you would help us. Some of these things seem scary, and I just pray that you would remind us of the joy of our salvation and the joy of following you and the joy of giving our lives away. So Spirit, come and help us. Apply your word to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.